This episode of Intermission is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Mubi premieres a new film. Whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece, it's guaranteed to be either a movie you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of before, and there will always be something new to discover on the service. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected, so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch, and instead, you'll actually be watching something great. It's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. Try Mubi free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash Filmstage. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Filmstage for a whole month of great cinema for free. Protests are still continuing in huge numbers around the world against institutional violence. There are many ways to get involved, including petitions, donations, participating in those protests, or simply becoming educated about those issues. One great resource for finding these outlets continues to be blacklivesmatters.card.co, which includes a large number of petitions and funds that need help at this time. Again, that's blacklivesmatters, with an S, dot C-A-R-R-D dot C-O. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome to Intermission. This is episode six, where we are going to be talking about uh, Olivier Assayas' 1994 film, uh, Cold Water. Um, We'll get into that in a little while, but first, um, you are listening to Intermission. Uh, My name is Michael Snydell, and I'm the host of this podcast. And uh, this podcast is uh, essentially a guest picks one art house, foreign or experimental film, and we talk about it at length. And the only uh, stipulation is that it's available on streaming. Uh, so that today's film, Cold Water, is actually available on the Criterion channel uh, and uh, available on disc. So I would uh, highly recommend that you seek it out. And uh, today's conversation is with uh, uh, Vikram Murthy. And uh, Vikram, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I am I am Vikram. I'm a freelance writer. I, uh, I've written for the uh, AV Club, uh, Vulture, RogerEbert.com, Filmmaker Magazine, uh, the Film Stage, where this this show is being hosted. Uh, the Nation, Reverse Shot, and uh, uh, recently Inside Hook. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors at Mubi. Uh, Mubi is a curated streaming service that uh, you can uh, subscribe to. And um, in, in there is a new film every day from new directors to award winners and uh, a, a beautiful global selection that's either hard to find, um, essential, or just otherwise uh, makes you feel like you know nothing about film at all. So along with a new film every day, Mubi also has an expansive library that includes past collections, uh, selected films, and uh, various other uh, films that you can uh, watch. Uh, the, the 
movie of the day on movie today is called August at Akikos. As movie describes it, uh, Christopher Makoto Yogi's debut feature is a wonderful tribute to a place pushing against Hollywood's erasure of Hawaii with affection and contemplation. Starring Alex Zhang Hung Tai from the band Dirty Beaches, the film is a musical dream that feels both immensely personal and culturally expansive. And if you would like to try a free trial of movie, go to uh, mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that's mubi.com slash filmstage. And now we can get into our main review, which uh, is the aforementioned uh, Cold Water. Um, so just kind of to start, uh, or w- when you reached out to me uh, about uh, coming on this podcast, you said you wanted to talk about uh, Cold Water. Uh, can you tell me why you picked that one or just what's, or what kind of uh, made you want to talk about it in uh, at length? Um, good question. I, uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a movie I saw recently. I think that was, that was one of them. I, I saw it last year and I immediately, it's rare. I sort of immediately like movies. I think it's, it's become rarer. Uh, in a way where it's just kind of like hit me with a full force, and I remember I remember watching it like twice in very close succession, uh, and me really just responding to it right away, and I felt like I could. Uh, it's also like a fun movie. I felt like I could I could talk about that. It's not it's not uh, while it's it is sort of melancholic and and uh, and and sad. It's not. Uh, it's also wistful and, and funny and it, it's, it's kind of like a dynamic movie, which uh, I think ideally makes for a dynamic conversation. What is your uh, general experience with uh, SAS's films? I, I haven't seen all of them, but I really like the ones I have seen. Um, I, I've seen uh, a good chunk of them. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I think that he, he's one of those guys who's a, uh, who uh, very much sort of follows his own whims in ways that I think are really cool. And he's a very personal filmmaker and um, also very uh, interested in sort of uh, sort of stretching the, the boundaries of both uh, cinema as text and cinema as genre in, in ways that I think are really interesting. He's uh, animated by politics and also a, a history of art which I think is really interesting. Uh, he's sort of born, you know, he's born out of like the, the French film industry in a, in a, in a very sort of very real way. Like his father was a, was a French director and screenwriter and he worked for him. And so he's been in like, he's like, you know, been in the French film industry for a very long time in, in either an ancillary capacity or in a direct one. And I don't know, like he, he comes from a generation of, uh, sort of like the, the next wave of the post new wave French filmmakers that I think did a lot of really interesting work. And I've always sort of responded to their, to their style really well, which is kind of jagged and knowing and, uh, uh, isn't, isn't sort of, is sort of into indirect pleasure, which I think is really interesting. Uh, I put him in, uh, Arnaud Desplechon in like the, the same category in a way. I really like those two guys as, work, especially when they were young men. I think they made really interesting movies. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a, a really great encapsulation. I, and I think to kind of give a little bit of background uh, about him in, in general, it, d- just to add briefly to what you're saying, I mean, this is this is fascinating because it's, uh, I believe, his fifth film. But it's, you know, the other ones previously aren't, aren't really available. You know, I think they've screened in, in scattered locations or, you know, I'm sure uh, less sundry locations on the Internet. But um, as far as my research goes, it looks like in 2006 or, um, or in the early 2000s, just so I'm not wrong. In the early 2000s, he did a one week residency at a California theater where, where he showed it. And then uh, finally, 2018, uh, Criterion released a, a restoration. Um, the brief bit I, I do know about why it wasn't available was uh, partly music rights. Uh, this this is a you know veritable uh, cornucopia of British and American uh, rock music. Everyone from you know Janis Joplin to uh, Roxy Music to uh, you know, Nico. Um, and there were also some, I know some production issues, but Vikram, you were actually telling me a little bit beforehand. Um, there's a, there's a little bit more to that, to that story. Yeah. So what I would say, what you mentioned a lot of stuff, I would say that like Coldwater preceded his real breakthrough, which is Irma Vep, uh, which was his like, kind of like the, the, the international and sort of like put them on, put them on the map in a lot of ways. Um, but Coldwater began as a, as a part of a, uh, a, like a French telefilm series, which was, uh, sort of, um, commissioned by the French television channel Arte. What it was with the, 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 the French films, uh, uh the, the series, it's, uh, all the boys and girls, their age is the, is the English translation. And the people who, uh, you know, are involved, there's nine, nine films. Uh, the other directors include uh, Andre Tichonet, Ackerman, Claire Denis, uh, and sort of they want, they commissioned sort of these, these one, one hour films to be shown on television that must meet a list of like person, like constraints. And so I think the constraints were it had to be an hour it had to the main theme of the film had to be adolescence. It had to feature rock music because they had a deal with Sony Music Entertainment. It was one of the sponsors of the series. So they had kind of free reign because it was the I, what I believe is that the licensing for television was settled by a flat rate. So they got a pretty good deal on a lot of music they could use. Um, it had to be set uh, sometime between 1960 and 1990. Um, it had to be shot on super 16. There was like a budget constraint and like a, a shooting duration constraint. And what happened was that what I believe happened is that Ostias, while he was filming, realized that he had a full feature in this. And so he shot two versions. He shot the TV version, which was like 58 minutes. And he shot the feature version, which was, uh, like 90, 92 or 95 minutes or whatever. And I believe the feature version screened at can, um, in 94. But, uh, yeah. So Coldwater, the music and I believe the, the, uh, the rights with Arte and Sony music kind of got completely muddled, which is why, uh, the, the Claire Denise entry into that, into that series, us go home is fantastic. 
uh, and is like very difficult. To, I mean, you can torrent it, I presume, but it's very difficult to watch. I saw it at a screening here. They did a Claire Denis retro, and that was like one I I I made a point to go to, and it's great. Um, it, it's maybe on YouTube and a decent. <laughs> quality <laughs> sure i don't know why they don't just put all these out i think it's it, it doesn't It'd like be a great box set for sure like i i, I i'm kind of shocked they haven't it would be it would be a genuinely cool thing like it would it would it would be legit interesting even if just for like the shorter versions of these movies like for sure uh i would like to, i would certainly be interested in seeing the television version of cold water uh i don't know what that would look like uh Apparently the party scene stays intact. That's all I know. Like that whole sequence is just unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, yeah, your, your point is totally fair. I, I guess I more meant that uh, in terms of cold water, I know that actually won an award at Berlin film festival, but you are, you are totally right that at least on our shores, uh, Irma Vap was something that, you know, um, it's kind of interesting because it seems like, at least from my understanding, that it did certainly amass a reputation with people who were paying attention to the art house, but it seems to also have kind of created its own cult reputation uh, by virtue of its kind of high concept story, which is, you know, kind of a, a corporate espionage and, you know, uh, or, or not necessarily corporate. Yeah. I guess I could say corporate espionage and um, in, in a lot of ways seems like a precursor to demon lover as well as at least what I was thinking. I, I digress. I, I more want to point out as like those two films represent a, a certain spectrum of Asaius's sensibility, you know, going for, from something that's coming up age tale, you know, sold with, or excuse me, told with kind of a, a searing social realism to this very high concept, uh, very meta, uh, but also, you know, deeply philosophical uh, drama. I, and you can see that even now, you know, you know, it's, it was interesting before we started uh, when we were first talking and I was asking for, you know, what's the best parallel and he very much did make a, another version of Cold Water in Something in the Air, uh, which is uh, another film set during the 70s, set, you know, very much in the uh, juxtaposed against the uh, May uh, 68 uh, protests. Like, it's very much a film that seems energized by a, a similar um, political engine, I, I guess is what I want to say. But... Um, yeah, I mean they're both uh, they're both uh, the, his autobiographical films. I, I I the timeline he sort of futzes with, but uh, Coldwater is very much like his sort of you know because he was seventeen in nineteen seventy two, uh, and so it's very much like one of the interesting things about Coldwater is that uh, I I. I'm not sure this this comes through unless you know. I think it works without it, but it's very much a film that is sort of defined by post May '68 sort of malaise and 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 how that trickles down to like teenagers essentially because they're they're sort of eminently aware of like the fragility of society and and they're also like how a lot of institutions are sort of like in in tenuous positions and that sort of animates a lot of their their rebellion and their anger and their and their instability and sort of like their actions and uh something in the air is very much following 
uh, Ostrias's trajectory after he he leaves high school, basically, which is very much like painting. He, he he's a painter, and he's on he's on sort of the fringes of a lot of revolutionary movements. And uh, I just finished his coming of age memoir, a post May May sixty eight adolescence, I believe it's called. It's a a post May adolescence, excuse me. And a lot of it's about uh, his sort of introduction to situationism and and Guy Debord and a lot of and a lot of that sort of philosophy, but it's also about him sort of experiencing May 68 secondhand because he was too young to like fully be in there. And then his, how it like shaped his politics and his youth and sort of, and what he did after that. So a lot of in the memoir is very much in something in the air, but there are certain things in, in cold water, especially like the, you know how it opened cold water opens with the Hungarian governess. They have like lecturing them about, her the atrocity she saw in 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 World War II, I imagine. Um and that is very much that's from his life. Like he that that is just something that that he was raised by a Hungarian governess. His mother was Hungarian and they were just steeped in a sort of uh post, you know, they they're very much of a uh anti-communist, anti-fascist uh political household because uh, his father was anti-fascist in Italy. And his mother escaped communism, and and so there's a lot of that, and uh, but also filmically, it's really interesting because it just works as like that's another thing that they just want to escape. They just want to escape this past. Like it's it's a it's a very telling choice that he opens with that scene, especially for a film that is very sort of like youthful and dyma- dynamic. It opens with like a vision of the past that they are too far are that all the children are too far away from to fully understand, but have sort of defined the environment that they're in and what they want to basically, they don't want to be molded by it. They want to be, they want to move away from it, which is, I always felt like a very interesting choice. Yeah. Especially considering, uh, yeah, if I'm remembering correctly, they're trying to leave as soon as possible so they can listen to the radio and listen to the, that Roxy music, uh, Uh, Virginia, Virginia plane, I think is, is what it is. Virginia plane is the song. It is, it is very key that those are the two first two scenes we see that you're going from like sober, political guilt to just like to to sort of like a freedom through 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 music um yeah i don't know it's it's a i it's one of my favorite coming like adolescent films coming of age films like i think i think it's really it's really smart about the connections you make and and sort of the 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 unstable feelings you have at that age like nothing that's not universal but it's sort of refracted through a very specific cultural and social and political context. Like that entire party sequence is, you can see it as, as very much a, as a mini metaphor for May 68, like, uh, especially that, like, you know, the, the happenings and the fire and then the come down. I just rewatched this movie yesterday, but like that whole morning sequence set by Nico, uh, I believe the song is, um, uh, it's a, a janitor of lunacy and it literally looks like a war zone. Like you, you see that kid eating beans out of the can in rubble and it's a beautiful shot. Like he shoots, he shoots that whole, that whole like 30 minute sequence. I believe I think it's some of the best filmmaking he's done and best filmmaking I've ever seen. Um, and it just, it literally looks like, it looks like a, a war zone that they've, they've, they've built and, the, and nothing is solved obviously, but that's, I mean, it's not a question of solutions. It's more just like, you're supposed to like live in that sort of come down morning moment where this like 
the Nico song is almost like a, like a, like a church bell. And it's like, it's like, it's almost like the dawn is being rung in and they're just looking at the embers of their, this fucking house that they destroyed and like, uh, and just set a flame. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, I think that like this movie works without that context. Cause you can just see it as like kids trying to escape the, the confines of their, of their sort of like gender of their, you know, the path of their parents and all that stuff. And I think it works on that level, but I think it really opens up when you consider the fact that like they've been sort of living in the wake of a movement that they haven't directly participated in and don't know what to do with all of this sort of awareness and, and feelings. He even mentions it at one point when he's fighting with his father, Gilles, he's like, you know, every time there's a strike or whatever, I get blamed. That's because kids were just starting strikes all the time in the wake of May 68 to just like, just piss off whatever authority. Yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, I think that's a a really good point about, you you know, about what you're, I I think the, the DeBoer and the, the protest connection, I I think those are really important. Like, uh, you know, situationism and, and specifically how SAS seems to frame it in, in the sense that like, you know, it's not about, looking back, it's constantly about that present motion. It's, it's about that, the weight almost of like agitation and that restlessness. And, and, and I think like, even I, I think it, it, what I really liked about this, what I really liked about this film is, uh, especially, I mean, I mean, you already said a youthful dynamic, but that you know, the the early scene where they are shoplifting. And of course they're uh you know Keely shoplifting a bunch of different American records <laughs> and uh, British records, you know, Deep Purple and uh, Rolling Stone and CCR who you know. Um and I I think that like that early scene you know, uh, to speak of, of kind of the thesis statements of those first two scenes, I, I think you could make an argument that almost every scene here does exist as almost like it, it's metaphorical totem of like of the moment. Like, it, it, I, I don't think he shies away whatsoever from, you know, uh, it, it's not blunt, but it is, as you're saying, like it's it's standing in for itself in, in a way. Uh, absolutely. And I think that this sort of plays in a lot of interesting ways because right after, after that, the shoplifting scene, there's the classroom scene. And I, I, it's funny because like, if he didn't underplay it, it would almost be a little too didactic, but it's, it's really compelling that like they're reading Rousseau and it's like, he's, he, he, he's literally not reading about the enlightenment. Uh, and what he chooses to memorize is Allen Ginsberg, which is what he starts reciting in the forest on the way to the party. Yeah. Like he won't, he won't read Rousseau's confessions. Uh, he just is rejecting that because it's coming from like a top down hierarchy, but he'll, he will not only read, but recite from memory, Allen Ginsberg's Wichita Vortex Sutra, which is like a, a, a pretty complicated poem. Like it's like, it's not difficult to read, but it's like the pro style isn't, isn't necessarily simple. And I just, I find that really amusing. Like it's like, Oh, Gilles will reject the enlightenment, uh, in favor of, of the beats. <laughs> like, yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah. I knew it was Ginsburg, but I hadn't made that connection. Yeah. That's, that's great. And, and that, 
I, I had actually seen, um, I, I think it was uh, Garish, um, let me let me try to say this name and not sound like an asshole, uh, Garish Shambu's uh, Criterion essay that specifically points out that um, that's the first time that we get confirmation that he is not, uh, is not poor. Like, I, for so much of the film, yeah. you do, you know, have this uh, two sides of the tracks with Christine and uh, Gilles and uh, just just so we can be clear as well. Um, so Gilles is played by, uh, oh my, I'm going to have to do French pronunciation, uh, Cyprine Fouquet. And uh, Christine is played by uh, Virginia Ledoyen. And, and I think um, we can speak a little bit more about performance there, but I think that it's it seems really central to me that those, like that recitation you're referring to and that certain, like, uh, slacker passivity that he has in the the teaching sequence is, like, that is very much a non-actor. And, and maybe it's maybe it's a certain, you know, knowing that going in that I intuited that, but I think that there is a certain... Um, it just further feeds into this, like, you know, autobiographical docudrama um, feel. Like, I, I don't think, you know, obviously it's their... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it was their contemporary... Like, Asayas' uh, contemporaries, like the Dardan brothers. Like, uh, La Promesse is, is something that this reminds me of, even as it's not as, you know, uh, fully grounded in, into that uh, certain social... Uh, class understandings like it, it's much more on on the fringe and start in terms of our class i i get what you're saying i think i think it's important to remember that uh, uh osseos does come from a a middle class background like uh it's a very it's a and and his this is sort of more explored in something in the air but his sort of like intellectual coming of age and and all of that is is fueled by his middle class background, a hundred percent. Um, and I, you know, I, I, there's that, I think it's that whole scene with his dad in which like his dad's just like, we're, we've, we've worked through everything. Like we, like you, we've made sure you don't take Latin. We moved you to away from the arts. Like he's like, you, we want you to like commit to like, you know, just some sort of education. And it's really funny because like, I I, ju- I just read this autobiography, so like sure. a lot of that is from him. Like, Asias just it was was very much like not a good student, but he was also like very good at reading, and like I don't know, it's really funny. It's like it's like what is considered a, a not like not a good student in France versus what's considered like not a good student in America <laughs> are like radically different ideas. <laughs> like these people are still like learning and everything, but like it's just not within the strictures of like the French education system. Um, I do, I do love that. Uh, this is a small thing, but I, I love that. Cause we were, we were just talking about the shoplifting that they shoplift those records to get money <laughs> to buy dynamite to give to his younger brother. <laughs> and it's never explained what that kid is doing with it. I think that's amazing. He's just like it's like there's this whole section of this movie which is like this quest involving something and it's just like completely like who gives a shit like he's like it's rejected from the movie and when he's like 
like he's like this is like kid shit to me i because i bet that kid and i think what's implied is that like that kid's gonna stir up some shit he's gonna blow up like some some car or some whatever that will like piss off authorities which is again like so much of of cold water is is rewritten and reframed in something in the air uh that you know there's 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 explode there's there's a lot of dynamite and something in the air uh but uh yeah i don't know i i'm trying to think of uh what else like i'm trying to think i'm trying to remember when i first saw this movie what i really i really like how patient it is and uh how like especially because like he captures the speed of youth and sort of the dynamism of youth, but he, he doesn't, that doesn't necessarily correspond to how certain scenes are edited. Like the party sequence is its own thing. And we should talk about that at length, but everything else before and after it is really measured pacing. And it's very much just like giving these kids space to speak to, to, and it's giving, and this this corresponds to how it was filmed, which is very much like non-actors, non-professional actors, improvisatory set, very loose. The handheld camera is very intimate, but allows for like a lot of sort of like not precise blocking. With I I think everything was naturally lit except for the party scene, which had like massive. There was like two. He had access to two cranes that basically gave. They just lit everything. So that like, oh, wow. so they could just film pretty freely, but it very much is like, I, I can't say for certain that like the, the actors are like authors of the film or whatever, but like he very much gave them space to like author those characters, uh, and, and move freely. Like the, the, it's also like the way that they, they the, the way that, uh, uh, Leroyne and, and Foucault, uh, Fouquet, not Foucault, Jesus. Uh, like their, their bodies, they very much are trying to, they're literally trying to break out of wherever, like the, wherever they are. Like they're very, like very jerky. Their movements are all very sort of over the place and they're, and they're, and they're very squirrely. Like they're very, they're very, like they're, they're very restless and squirrely. And I don't, and I think that's completely by design. It's, it's to the benefit of the film that Asya has both, respects the passions of the, the the kids while also being immensely sympathetic to the adults in this, uh, without necessarily validating the adults perspective, but he's very sympathetic to their frustrations because they just don't know how to like, they don't know how to control these kids. I mean, I look, I just, I think one of the more piercing images of this film is when Christine is talking to that cop, uh, and, and the cop is just, just exhausted. Like, I know, like, he's just like, he's not even like pushing very hard. It's just like, this kid's like fucking with him. And he's just like, I don't know what to do. Like your dad's out here. He's going to take you. Like, I just don't, I don't, I don't know. Like we're, we're out of options. Like he's also just, I, I think, I think it, it wouldn't work if there was, any sort of like retrospective critique. It's very much like as the, as a situationist, it's very much like in the moment and in the present. And that sort of feeds into the party sequence in many ways. But I think that's a, a good place to, to kind of start with, with that certain 
pacing because I, I think you're I think you're totally right about um, you know it, it giving you know proper empathy to uh, you know both almost sets of uh, sets of generations like which is all the more fascinating when you consider so much of this this film is is about as you're saying kids who are literally resisting their reality um, and I, I think that yeah that police officer uh, police scene was really kind of took me off guard because as you're saying she's she's not only fucking with him but you can tell she's been there like like just the the way she talks about her her bracelet even and i think what what this kind of brings me up is i I think what's so fascinating about this like even more uh more directly than something like something in the air is like this is an era, era survey but it is very much a character study like it's not an era survey I, in the way that you're feeling like you're you're constantly getting a sense of what's going on outside these people, um, and other and even that party scene, which which we will get to, but I'm, I'm just for a point right now. Like even that party scene is is still, you know, it's it, it's not very revealing <laughs> of what people are actually going through. But like even, you know, it, it's. Uh, beyond the beyond the fact that the police like represent authority, which also makes that kind of radical, but it, you're you're totally right about the scene you're talking about between uh, Giles and his and his dad is like, I really like how his dad is almost again like to speak to that certain history is is he's like reciting. As you're saying, like uh, Latin, like he's reciting the certain things that he's done to try to help him. And I, I really love that moment where he starts going upstairs and he and he comes back to his dad and like it's almost like this going to sound corny, but it's almost like a piercing glance that it's given a camera like it's a like it's a, a beam of, of truth at that moment. Like there's here here is sincerity that's actually like making its way through like the the total like insolubility of that moment. Um, so I, I think you're totally right about that pacing. And it's, you know, before the party. And I think that's why ultimately it was so, that last 25 minutes is so strange because it sprawls across more geography than the entire film. It, um, it sprawls across a huge amount of geography. You see them walking. You see them hitchhiking on a truck. Um, you see them. You see them like uh, together. And you know she won't tell him any details about this commune, even though she's apparently says she's best friends with uh, the woman who escaped there. But but then it's like it's fascinating then that it sprawls to such a level, and then she's gone, and and we get that piece of paper like it's it's a it's such a it, it's such an odd way and like you know you're using patient but I would go farther and even saying I think there's a certain difficulty in that last 20 minutes because you do feel that you know a, a moody exhilaration during that party and you already mentioned that come down but it 
it feels like to another level. Like it's like here, get used to this entirely different mode. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> well, for sure. I I mean, I think there's a couple things that need to be said. One is that Cold Water is one of the great movies about heartbreak, uh, and it's very much uh, implied by the title. I think that ending. Uh, I, I I love the title Cold Water because it's very much it's not explicated in any way other than the fact that this movie ends near water and her disappearance, Christine's disappearance is literally like a splash of cold water in, in Jill's face, but cold water buries the lead. It's, it's a heartbreak movie and you don't realize that until the last five minutes of that movie when she's gone and he reads the paper and there's no answers. Uh, secondly, I think the thing about this, which is that, is that cold water is not about ideology in, in, in any, in any real way. It's, it's, it, ah, I, let me back up that it, ideology is, is the subtext, but it's not the text. So like all of the, all of the, all of the act, like characters are defined by actions that are, uh, in opposition, but they're not theorized. Whereas in something in the air, I, I think DeBoer is, is a really good sense there. No, for sure. But it, it, of course, but in 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 comparison to something like something in the air, in which uh, it's it's much less individualistic, and all actions are defined by are, are strictly defined by where people are on the ideological matrix. Cold water is very much a mass of of bodies reacting to authority in opposition, and it can be consumed as such, uh, which I think is really interesting because there's no like. No one, no one is expressly stating like, I am doing this for Trotskyism or whatever. It's never like, it's never like that. That's never on the table. It's more just like, let's burn shit. Let's listen to music and get high and burn shit. Uh, which is, which is great. Uh, I think that, I mean, I, I think that it has, it's much more immediate in that sense. And it's much more emotional. I think of the scene when they're trashing the house and the kid falls, he takes like a somersault and just starts laughing on the ground which is very much just either cold water in a, in a, in a nutshell. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think you're right. I think it's, I, I think that what I, I, I respond to movies in which, uh, they don't, they don't stick to one mode. And I think that you, you tapped into that, which is that it very much has movements. Like the film has like, has, has like it can be split into thirds really easily. Um, but, Editing and camera work uh, sort of dictate tone and pacing in this film in very in very uh, uh, definitive, distinct ways, which is why uh, you can separate into like pre-party, party, post-party. And you're right. Like the last 25 minutes of that movie are in a very different register, and it's very much like the sobering up of of of, bo- of specifically. Gilles and Christine, how they're just sort of like on a road to nowhere, quite literally. And like, then like they're in the snow, like that whole, it's so sad. Like that whole, that whole ending when they're just like, there's no phone, there's nothing. They're like in the woods or whatever. And like, they're trying to like light that hash and it's not working. And it's just like, it's just, you could see like, they're both immediately regretting this, but no one will back down. Uh, and 
And she like she, he never finds out that she's just fucking with him. Like she's never contacted this 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 commune girl. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. It's just that whole thing is it's very much all about suggestion and sort of like. I, I think the scene where she gets where she strips and gets into like whatever, I guess their their sleeping bag with him. You know, it's 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 one of the more explicit moments in the film. To, I mean, in terms of interpretation, like she's literally like bear. She's literally stripping down and bearing down and bearing her vulnerability and all of that. And then immediately pulls it away. Uh, and it's very much about how that sort of push pull, I think, very much ties into sort of like what adolescence teaches you about what will come later, which is that. There's there's moments of reckoning, there's moments of joy and moments of disappointment, and they can all sort of like come in one quick successive cycle. I was just gonna mention real quick that like to to piggyback on, on what you're saying about that I you know, I think the Star Cross lover uh, quality, like that certain like uh you know, almost untenable passion <laughs> they're feeling for each other. I, I it's love hardcore, uh, man. like yeah, they're they're serious they about are it. Very like, serious. I love that line, uh, you'll have me and I'll have you, that's all. And it, it's like such a, such a deeply depressing line, you know, in, in a way, because as you're saying, it, it's like mutually assured uh, destruction in a way. Like, and is, is that you know, when you could, is that when she goes like she like asks him to go with her and he like hesitates and she's like, fuck yes. you. Like you took, <laughs> you took a second. If you could see this guy just being like, let me think about it for a minute. Like. <laughs> Like, like she's like, no, no thinking. He's like, okay, I guess, I guess we're on, we're going like, all right. Uh, it's equally great too, that like uh, shortly after that, he finds out there's, as you're saying, finds out about water and electricity and she's like, well, they have a well. He's like, have that. you ever used a well? I love, that. Like, I love that no. so much. He tries to poke the holes in the logic. He's like, how do they bathe? And he's like, she's like, they can bathe. He's like, oh, God, look. Uh, I thought that was really great. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, I just wanted to briefly mention that in terms of a kind of like further affirmation of of what you're saying, because I I think that is, yeah, I I mean, that is a scene, you know, I think um, I I don't want to take. I don't want to take credit for anybody's work. I, I think it's also uh, Garish who, who says it's like a hangover. Like, uh, you know, you already spoke to uh, the come down. And I think very literally you're seeing a sense that, um, you know, that these people are physically reacting uh, to this, uh, to this moment. Like their, their fun is done. <laughs> the, the real world has, you know, literally crept back into the windows. Um, Absolutely. Uh, first of all, that, uh, that essay that, uh, Garisha does is great. Uh, um, I really want to, I really, uh, Gary, uh, Gary It's great. It's fantastic. It's a great, really good essay. And yeah, I, I think it, it, the, the come down can be read in multiple ways. It can be read in a sort of micro sort of like, oh, they got to go home now. Like, and, and the macro, like, this is, this is the seventies baby. Like. This is, I forget the phrase that that Asias uses. It, it's like a lead a lead sky, I think, which he he sort of like mm. defined the seventies as like 
this this time in which when uh, it felt like everything was fracturing and that like it literally felt like everything was being squished and fractured post 68, um, which is uh, yeah. I mean, that's everywhere. That's everywhere over this movie. Um, there's a there's a there's a deep malaise that I think is not is expressed very sort of subtly that I really like about, about this. Like everyone's like, everyone knows everything's bullshit and, and doesn't know how to deal with that. And I think that's, I'm very sympathetic to that, to that idea. <laughs> just, of just everyone being hyper conscious of the fact that like everything is a lie, but they also still have to like do their homework. See, but it's, it, it... It is really strange, though, because I think you can you can obviously uh, point to a lot of like art house contemporaries who are, who are doing things like this. But, you know, as a as a as a Yankee, <laughs> of course, I was thinking like of someone like Linkoiter. Like I, I was of thinking of things like Dazed and Confused and, uh, you know, Fast Times of Richmond High and, and American Greed, Graffiti, which, you know, are, you know, uh, maybe Dazed and Confused less so you know, animated by a specific politic rather than like almost a, a certain like nostalgic politic is maybe what I'm trying to say. Like there's something more platonic uh, about that in a way, but it it is, it does serve as like a fascinating contrast. I, I don't think it's totally out of the realm to, to draw connections there. Cause it, cause you're right. Cause it's everything's bullshit, but like, it also feels like the most meaningful moment of your life. Like for sure. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, which I think Ken Jones said that exact thing about dazed and confused <laughs> where link you know, greatest skill is being able to alternate between bullshit and profundity. <laughs> well, he never left college link in many ways. Link still, still has the curiosity and, uh, and the mentality of a college student, which I, I find, uh, perennially endearing um bong wisdom still wisdom (laughs) i I agree wholeheartedly and he he's also not wrong half the time so uh yeah yeah. but that is that is a good way to uh to enter or to transition to the party we have a 30 minutes uh, party sequence in this film. I mean, what are you, what are your kind of initial thoughts about this? You, you've spoken a little bit about how much it impressed you, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I should say that I think that that was also one of the constraints was that it had to contain a festive scene. Each, each of the, of the original, the French telefilms, uh, by Arte, like that had to be a part of it. And I mean, I think us go home has one yes. too, but it's, you know, <laughs> It's hardly uh, an appealing party. No, for sure. Yeah. Uh, this is. I mean, I, I, I. Yeah, it's a, it's an incredible scene. I really, I really do love. Uh, I really do love it, and it's very much. Uh, he's he's spoken briefly about how it was filmed, and it was very much like, they they gave like basic luminosity to the to the entire setting, and, really just let the kids go. Like, I'm pretty sure they're actually getting high. Like, I'm pretty sure they're actually smoking. Uh, it took a week to film. And it was very much like, just be at a party. Like, it, it was really that sort of like, unless you were on camera speaking and there was like a sort of like blocking that had to be done, 
I believe it was very much like uh, I, it was very much like the kids were were I, I think Asias's words where they were they were smoking like they were doing what we were doing in the same clothes that we had, which was like smoking grass, flirting and huddling together for warmth and all of that shit. Um, but just sort of the 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 ele- elegance in which it's filmed is is remarkable uh and sort of the way he filmed like the 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 choices that he makes in that in that sequence are kind of unbelievable like he 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 basically both him and um god the who's the dp uh dennis lenoir thank you dennis lenoir or denis lenoir i believe i believe yeah i'm not sure uh lenoir um they just follow they pick like one focal point and just follow them. And sometimes there's that scene where like, there's like six people talking about what to do with Christine. And each time someone speaks, the camera moves to them and follows them. And it's almost like they're ping ponging between like seven different people in one confined space. I love the, the first hash smoking scene when the camera just focuses on the pipe and then just follows the pipe as it's being passed while knocking on heaven's doors playing. Um, there's a there's just a real sense of like communality and that that translates both to form and content and I find it really moving that everyone's concerned about each other like I don't know there's like something very elemental about that where everyone's like everyone like pitches in to like hide this girl from her parents like everyone's really like concerned like they're very they're taking it very seriously and their concern and compassion is very is very like on the surface while also uh, being aware that this the, that these people are unstable, this girl is unstable. Uh, she did try to stab that girl, which I find it. I forgot about that after when I watched this. Like I've seen this movie a few times. I keep forgetting that she like actually tries to stab that girl. Um, but yeah, just in terms, and also it's edited to the soundtrack. Like it's very much like a scene defined, a sequence defined by the run of music. Like it starts with. Uh, I believe it starts with uh, me and Bobby McGee mo- moves into uh, Donovan, I believe. Uh, and then around the bend. I think schools out comes before avalanche. Comes, like it, uh, there's Len- there's avalanche by Leonard Cohen before it. Uh, yeah. But up, I mean, the up around the bend sequence is is maybe my favorite. Some of my favorite, like five minutes of cinema ever. Like, uh, especially cause it's just, it's just like a shot in the arm in terms of energy, but also there's that whole, I mean, it sent chills down my spine when I first saw it, when they sort of follow that kid who sold that, that nameless kid who sold Gilles the dynamite, they find him at the party and they follow him. And then you could tell because there's a, there's someone's can control of the record player, just an unseen, like it just stops. And then there's like a scratch and it just starts over. I fucking love that. I think that that shit's unbelievable. Uh, that's great. And, uh, it's really just, again, just patient in terms of watching that fucking fire, just like burn up. And, and these kids like, they're all, they all look so young and so goofy and they're all just like dancing very arrhythmically, uh, and just destroying that house. I don't know. It's, it's very, it's very, it's very rebellious while also being, very ungraceful in terms of actions. Uh, it's not, it's not a graceful arson. Uh, it's not a graceful fire. It's a, it's a, 
it's a reckless, tempestuous fire, uh, which also just fits the mood of, of, of the, the actors on screen. I don't know. It's great. It's, it's, I, I really love it. I think it's, I think it's some, it, it's just very confident filmmaking. Yeah. So you've spoken a little bit about the, the needle drops and, um, it, it, it's interesting because those are, you know, it, it's not like it's totally cut to music. Because it is still very, very curated uh, in, in a way. I mean, I think, you know, we spoke, we mentioned Schools Out, but like Schools Out is used in a haunting way in, in this, like coming before and knocking on Heaven's door. And you, you do get that just wonderful, almost, you know, religious scene of them passing the bowl around. Um, but it, it's the best ad for out. weed I've seen in a very long time. <laughs> like it, it, it makes smoking weed look beautiful. Uh <laughs> You want to talk about graceful? Like that is one part that looks very, very graceful. Yeah, you know, it's like they're passing around a peace pipe in a way. Like there's a certain, you know, it's it's not a communality, but it's like a, you know, it's a. This is that sacred moment partake. <laughs> it's also just like you just see the work in them getting it out of the packaging. Like I don't, I, I don't really know what it is, but it's like it's wrapped in foil that has to be like burned through. Like, and, and like, take, it's like, there's a whole process that he, he really lingers on and it's like, it fucking yeah. matters. Like, it's not, it's not like just here you go. There's a whole thing into it, which I think is really interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. You're right. Like the, the, I, I think that it's very much of a sort of like classic, like a lot of these songs are now just classic rock staples, but there's also sure. like easy living by Uriah Heep when when the father <laughs> is searching and that's just not a song people i don't know if, i don't know if anyone knows about uriah heep anymore that's that's not a band that's that's in that's even in conversation uh but um it's it's very much like what would be played though like it, it's a uh, also always has has sort of a, a, a he has he's one of those i would love to get playlists from him he has a, a an encyclopedic knowledge of music that is incredibly, uh, uh, deep and intimidating. Um, and I, 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 he's also one of those directors where I learned, I learned new music from, from his movies, like a hundred percent. Uh, I, I saw something in the air a couple of years ago and I, I, I don't think I'd ever really heard of Kevin Ayer before. Uh, but that Kevin Ayers, excuse me. Uh, that fucking, that song at the end of that movie is unbelievable. Like, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, it's, you're right. The, the, the cold water, that sequence is not edited to music. It's not, but it drives the sequence. Like it, 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 it very much is like, it, it sort of sets the tone and, 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 and divides it into movements almost. Uh, and again, like you're right. Like the, the, the use of schools out is very haunting Whereas the use of avalanche is romantic in a way that yeah. it's, it's, it's very like passionately uh, a, a, a scene of romance, which is just fascinating. Uh, Cause like with all respect to Leonard Cohen and it's not like he is not a romantic uh, his songs are, are pretty, pretty, pretty dark, but that is a, that is a love song. Avalanche is a love song, but uh yeah, no, it's just it's used in it's used in a very sort of uh, like slow uh, dance. Yeah, yeah, it's used in a very uh, 
uh, a positive light. Uh, the the anguish is is rewritten. <laughs> uh, I compared to something like McCabe and Mrs. Miller, where it's like. I believe Avalanche is the scene where he's just like trudging through the snow. <laughs> like it's, or it's something equally desolate. <laughs> so like, yeah, I mean, you're, you're totally right about that, but I think, you know, it, there is, there is kind of a really intangible precision. You're right to it. it it's not, it's not showy, but it's showy by the end. <laughs> like, I, like I think you're totally right about, um, or, or not you're totally right, but it, your your point about it being people just partying and only blocking when people are t- talking is is fascinating because I feel like the you know the centerpiece of the centerpiece is is Christina walking in a, in a circuit uh, around those people and you know it's partly the lighting certainly but that sequence does feel you know it feels like her movements are carefully choreographed. The camera, might, it, the camera is obviously carefully choreographed, but you're not, you're not feeling it. You are instead feeling like, where is she in the background? What's, what's going to happen to her? Like she could just as easily kind of disappear into the darkness. Um, and I, I think, I, I think that's like something that's, that's almost very strange to me because you know. It, it, we hear so much about one takes and everything, you know, this certain fetishization that we've come to now. A hundred percent. But this is, this is so unlike that. And, and, and I think you're, I, I think there's also something to be said for, it's not only in, in empathy, but there is a little bit of naivete about it as you're suggesting. Cause you know, like when they mention, uh, Beau Soleil, the the clinic she um, r- runs from, which is another bizarre scene because it's like it's shot next to like almost this like this uh, very like textured glass window. Like that's like a weirdly the focal point in that scene when they're trying to decide what they should do to her, do with her, whether they should tell Christine's mom, whether they should, you know, call someone or to get her. And uh, she's like, well, she was fine all year <laughs> as if like that was, but that's, but that makes so much sense. Like uh, you weren't fixating on every moment unless you're directly confronted with it. And I think you even, I think you even feel that with, uh, with, with Giles, like he's in over his head far before she decides to run away. Like it's, it's clear. And like, to be fair, he abandons her at the beginning. Like he, uh, I, I was kind of surprised she wasn't mad at, uh, more mad at him to, to be honest, when he like comes back into it. Like, but I, I guess that just goes back into that certain, like they're living every second of their life with a spontaneity. Yeah. I also think that like, I, I think when the, when the, when the fuzz is involved, I think there might be a, a grace in terms of getting the fuck out of there. Uh, but I do think it's really funny that um, when he when Gilles first arrives uh, at the party, he he talks to that girl, and uh, she's like, "Well, Christine is here," and he's like shocked because I think subtextually, and what I read into that is that like, oh, her being sent away kind of solves the problem in many ways. Like he's like, "What do you mean she's here?" Like 
And he's like, yeah, she escaped. Like she came by for dinner and just like, I gave her coffee and we came here and he's just like, they're going to like, her parents are going to fight. Like you could see like him. There's a brief moment in which he's like, well, I got out of, like, I got, I got a freebie out of this. I can get out of this. But then he's like, no, I'm stuck back. You know, then it's very much, he gets like brought back into the cycle. Um, I don't know. There's also that scene with him and her mom, which I really like when, uh, she's like, what does she say? Like, she doesn't talk to me. Like, I, I like, I need to, I, it's very much like, it, it's a very sort of elemental scene, which, which a parent is like really trying to figure out their own kid through their friends, which is so awkward. <laughs> like, but, but, uh, uh, very, it's very sweet. And like, I, I think there's a, there's a, also a sweetness to this movie that is kind of, it, it kind of grounds a lot of the jaggedness where it's like mm. every, everyone, everyone, the passions are running high all the time, but there's a certain sort of lightness. I don't know. There's a little bit of like, none of these are bad kids. Like, I don't know that none of these are, they're not, they're not sort of like on the wrong side of history in any major way. Like they're all, they're all just pissed off and young and it's like, everyone's going to be all right. Like there's always like, I, I, I like coming of age movies in which there's a, there's a sort of authorial unspoken sense in which like the kids are okay. Like everyone's going to get through this. Like, like it's this like, is a Nocturama. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one dies at the end. Uh, <laughs> like ever. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's like, this is very serious and very painful right now, but like everyone's going to come out the other side of this, like basically intact. Yeah. I, I think that's a good. I think that's a good point. And I, I think that, I, I like that they let the mom be kind of selfish. Like, you know, there's that random like yeah. left field thing where she's like, you know, I'm a Scientologist. <laughs> I apologize for it. But then she's like, I think she demands attention. So she like kind of goes back and forth between like, I want my independence. I want to date uh, Marad. Um, I think that's how you, yeah, Marad. Um, but like, you know, I, I also want to give her something and she's like, I, I think that's like very relatable that she goes back and forth between this frustration and also wanting to assert like, I was with this, you know, your shitty father <laughs> for so long. Like, let me exist on my own, as, yeah. you know, as a self. A hundred percent. Also, like, I, I think there's, there's a lot implied that like the state sort of rejects her like her mother and Murad as like unfit parents. Uh, it's sort of hinted at a couple times when the, when the police officer is very much like, I've written your mother many times. And she's like, she's like, you, she knows what you want. And there's sort of, there's sort of like a intimation that it's not a, it's not a, a good environment for kids because like this guy, he's, he's Arab. He works in a betting agency. She left her father. Like, these aren't these aren't parents who are focused on the child, blah blah blah. Um, so I think there's also a lot of that sort of pressure going on. That's not really that's not really explicated, but kind of hanging over everything, which I think is really interesting. Um, what do you make of the the father? Considering he kind of shows up and yeah, he shows up in one scene. I'm not sure if he says a word. He's just watching her in the hardware no, store. No, I think right? he talks to. He doesn't say a word to her, but he talks to like her. Uh, his like employee and then and then he see and then we see him again dropping her off at like i guess the sanitarium 
or whatever that is. I, I don't, I, I wasn't sure. I think it's like, it's like a, they call it an institution, but like, I, it, I, I think it's probably like a, like an, in, like an outpatient or whatever, whatever that is. I don't, I honestly don't know, but some sort of psychiatric, uh, uh, institution of some kind of some, of some variety. Uh, I do like that he is sort of an unseen, uh, all you hear, all you mostly hear about him is through Christine's like, uh, descriptions of him, which like, you know, she's, he's dragging her uh, down the street. He's a worm. He, he beats her. And then, uh, there's that. And then you see him basically just being like, like all you see out of him really is just like, Oh, this is like, I, this is just another thing I have to deal with. Like I, there's some like notes of concern when he's like talking to the doctor when he's leaving her there, but he's also like leaving her there. Like, I don't know. Like, uh, so how, how far does that concern go? Um, uh, you, you definitely can, I think the sense is, is that every adult is on their last, like their last piece of sanity, like their last, like at the end, at the end of their rope, every adult is pretty much at like the end of their rope with these kids. Cause they, cause there's a, there's some sort of insurmountable generation gap in which they just can't, there's no, there's no talking about, there's like, and this comes through in many ways. Like the father is talking about sort of like these old paintings, like he's reading the enlightenment and it's like, these kids are like, their, their, their world is defined by Roxy music and Allen Ginsberg. Like it's like, there's a, there's a very clear divide being illustrated here. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's, a. Uh, it's, it, none of this is none of this is sort of like presented didactically, which I really like. It's sort of presented in snapshots and glimpses, and uh, it, it's very much in service of mood more than more than plot, which I I also appreciate considerably. Do you do you have any last thoughts that you don't feel like we talked about? I don't know. I think I think I think I'm good. I mean, I I. It's funny because like. No, I'm I'm okay. I think I think that the, the the other thing that I would mention is that the the ways in which Asias rewrites a lot of the scenes in this movie and something in the air are are fascinating, uh, and it's sort of like the two main characters of that movie are also named Gilles and Christine, but they're very different. Are they really? Um, oh yeah. wow! Uh, um, and there's also a party scene in that film, but also it ends in ends in another fire that ends in tragedy. There's a there's another yeah. scene where uh, the Gilles and the, the window right? the window um, yeah uh, there's also a scene in which uh, Gilles is reciting poetry in the woods um, I'm, there's there's like there's a bunch of stuff that's rewritten from Cold Water in that film that I find I, I think is really interesting and they serve as a really neat diptych um, of kind of like basically his teens and twenties. Something in the air is more is more directly autobiographical. Like it's very much like Gilles is a painter, and he he it ends with him like entering the film industry. Like it's it's the arc is much as yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, I'm 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 good. Anything else? That's I'm fine. <laughs> I, the last part of the podcast, I kind of like to um, ask the guest if there's anything that they would recommend, any type of um, medium that you think a listener could go to that uh would be thematic or um conceptually comparable to cold water 
a couple answers. One I would say is I, I would really encourage people to read this memoir uh, that Asias wrote because uh, you can read it in a day. It's like uh, it's like a hundred pages, and uh, it's sort of it's sort of it, it, it contextualizes a lot of his work and and cold water specifically in in a very interesting way. I think I'm trying to think of like what I would program with cold water. I would I would maybe um hmm I'm not sure. I I okay, maybe maybe my golden days um by Dave Pixon. Uh they serve as a weird it's now that I think about this it's it's pretty fucking weird. Um Cold Water and Something in the Air, how they're sort of connected, is sort of similar to how My Sex Life, which is uh, Dave Lachan's 1996 breakthrough, and My Golden Days are sort of connected. They also feature two characters of this, like a, a, a couple that share the same names in both films. Uh, uh, it's sort of, and it's very much about uh, their relationship at different periods of their life. Uh, I, I, I would recommend maybe my golden days cause it's, it's, it's accessible. I, you can, you can stream it. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, it's a very, I think if you're, I think, uh, tonally and sort of stylistically, it's very, it's very exciting, very odd. It's kind of all over the place. Uh, yeah, I would recommend those two. Uh, I, I check those, I check those out. I think, I think, um, Korean filmmakers get a lot of attention for their tonally uh, varied films, but I think uh, the, this generation of French filmmakers are very restless too. Like they're 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 stylistically restless in ways that I think are are kind of really interesting. There's that movie Graduate First. Oh, that's a good one. If you want to pair up with Cold Water, Graduate Graduate First. That's that's the movie that you should see. Uh, that that movie is fucking great. Um, I, I I mean I'm sort of all over the place with PLA, but I I love that movie. That's like very much like a young person's movie, suburban, French, restless, uh, uh, '70s, all of that shit. Yeah, scratch scratch tape shot. Graduate first. That's that's the movie to watch with Cole. But uh, yeah, no, I think all of those are uh, great recommendations. Finally, um, uh, Vikram, where can we find you these days? And you can plug anything you like here. Um. Sure. I would just say uh, I'm on Twitter at FauxBPoet, F-A-U-X-B-E-A-T-P-O-E-T. FauxBPoet, just one word. Uh, I post my stuff there mostly. or that that would be the best way. I should like have a website. I don't know. I don't, but I probably should. Um, in 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 lieu of that, uh, I really just the best way to get in touch with me is either through Twitter, uh, which has my email too, uh, if you're interested. Um, and yeah, that that's really it. Uh, I don't I don't have anything, I guess, specific to plug other than like please hire me if you're. <laughs> if you're if you're if you're an editor uh, listening to this uh, on the off chance, please, please uh, I, I am I can write sentences without vomiting. Uh, and so this this should make me very valuable. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not always uh, my my uh, the my uh, uh, the best self-advocate, but 
I, I am I am not bad at this. <laughs> so, so hire me. I would also say that uh, Vikram's very good at this and, and has the most sunny disposition. Um, <laughs> uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at, at Snydell, uh Letterboxd every once in a while. I write some things um, and I'm still, uh, we're still brainstorming what we're going to do with Patreon because these are available for Patreon users, whatever. Uh, for the first couple days, and then they go public. But um, I'm trying to come up with some incentives that people will be interested in. And the next intermission episode will be uh, Louis Bunuel's Tristana uh, with guest uh, Will Ross. And uh, that is expiring at the end of the month from Criterion Channel, uh, along with a bunch of different Boonwiles. So um, I'm going to do some homework before the, that next episode. And finally, thank you again to our uh, sponsor, Mubi. If you'd like to try a free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that's mubi.com slash filmstage. And again, uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Intermission. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Take care.